Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. Well, good morning. I know some of you or many of you are thrilled that you have found out that the people of the fine print wasn't a challenge where we would print the sermon cards and very small print to see if you were a person that could read the fine print. And uh, so here in week four, you're confident that that has not been the purpose and the goal of what we've been looking at. But I'm confident that you have been edified and challenged and blessed thus far. And with that being said, if you didn't get a sermon card, you can put your hand in the air and one will be given to you. I want to read a large passage of scripture found in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 32. Now it came to pass as Peter went through all parts of the country that he also came down to the saints who dwelt in Luda. There he found a certain man named Ahinaeus who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Ahinaeus, Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. Then he arose immediately. So all who dwelt at Luda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. At Eope, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did, but it happened in those days that she became sick and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And since Luda was near Eope, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. When he had come, they brought him to the upper room. And all the widows stood by him weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. She opened her eyes and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Eope. And many believed on the Lord. I want to preach a message today titled, Gazelles in the Upper Room. Will you say that with me? Gazelles in the Upper Room. Let me pray. Father, I thank you that in the name of Jesus, the kingdom of God is at hand. And I thank you that you have spread a table of many benefits through the blood and body of Jesus, that whosoever will can come freely and drink and eat of this table. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would create expectation that you would create faith in hearts and minds of people. Lord, that you have made provision for what they're facing, for what they need. 
Have your way, King Jesus. Holy Spirit, may it be more than just words and more than just a meeting. May we encounter the risen, victorious Christ and His manifest presence. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. At Eopay, there was this certain disciple. In fact, this certain disciple was a woman. She was a woman named Tabitha. Her name in Aramaic was Tabitha, and when it was translated into Greek, her name was Dorcas. Notice that she was a woman, a disciple of Jesus, who was full of good works and charitable deeds. But she gets sick, and she dies. Dr. Luke, here in his account, he does not go into great detail regarding all the different types of good works or charitable deeds that she was involved in before her death. However, in the beginning of this series, I mentioned several things that the Scripture defines as biblical good works. But here, the only information that Dr. Luke provides for us regarding Dorcas is that she made tunics and garments. We get the information... Also through this phrase, charitable deeds, that Dr. Luke uses. And the phrase, charitable deeds, that Dr. Luke uses speaks to acts of mercy. Charity. Donations to the poor. And we find out that the community of disciples that she was a part of at EOPE valued what she did to the extent that the widows were weeping and the disciples sent for the apostle Peter who was at Luda to come and to rectify the situation. Which, by the way, makes me ask the question, what if they never sent for the apostle Peter even though he was near? That's a sermon for another day, but it begs to question. Peter arrives and he finds the body of Dorcas has been placed in an upper room where the widows are standing by weeping and showing the tunics and the garments that Dorcas had made. I want to talk for a moment about the upper room. Elijah and Elisha, two prophets in the Old Testament, on separate instances raised a child from the dead in an upper room. It was in his upper room that Daniel prayed three times a day, even after a law was signed that no God was to be petitioned for 30 days, that the only one who could be petitioned was the king. It was in a large, furnished, and prepared upper room that Jesus ate the Passover meal with his disciples. Peter, of course, was there with the twelve. In fact, that is the first mention in Scripture of Peter being in an upper room. We don't know if he had ever experienced being in an upper room before in his days growing up as a Jewish boy, but we know that on the night of Jesus' betrayal, on the night when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion, and he said, take, eat, this bread represents my body, that will be broken for you and drink of the juice of the vine that represents my blood 
that will be shed for the remission of sins, that Peter was there in that upper room on that night. The next time after that we find that Scripture uses the phrase upper room is in Acts chapter 1 and 2 after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. Look at this with me in Acts 1 and verse 13. It says, And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. Notice they were there in an upper room staying. Then in Acts 2, in verse 1, as they've been in this upper room now for 10 days, praying in one accord and supplications, in obedience to Jesus who commanded them to wait till the promise of the Father would be poured out, the precious gift of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 2 and verse 1 it says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire. One set upon each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now here we have in our main text, we have an upper room. And we have Peter in the upper room and we have widows in the upper room. We have Peter and the widows at an upper room in Eope. Both Peter and the widows were at the same upper room, but they did not have the same past experiences in such a room. They're both at an upper room, and yet they both don't have the same past experiences in such a room. It's clear by their actions. It's clear by their response. Did you know that expectation can be seen based on people's responses and based on people's actions. The widows are standing in the upper room weeping. They're reflecting on the memories of what Dorcas used to be able to perform, what she used to have been able to accomplish. And yet Peter stands in the upper room with the memory of eating the elements of Holy Communion that Jesus declared symbolized the new covenant that he would establish. Which, by the way, the gospel writer Matthew says that the body of Jesus and His blood, that in that healing had been provided. That it was the fulfillment of what Isaiah said, that by His stripes we were healed. Peter stands in the upper room with the memory of the upper room of Acts 1 and Acts 2. A room that was filled with prayer. A room that was filled with supplication as they waited For the promise of the Father as Jesus commanded them after or right before his ascension. Peter stands in the upper room and the widows are weeping. But Peter stands in the upper room with the memory of his experience on the day of Pentecost. When a sound from heaven filled the whole place and all were filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter himself being filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues as the Holy Spirit gave utterance. 
Peter, as the widows are weeping, stands in the same room, in the same upper room, but he stands with the reality that the greater one than Elijah and Elijah, Jesus also works in the upper room. Here's the point, don't miss it. The past projects onto the future we think is possible. The past, your past, projects onto the future you think is possible. What was the past of the widows that was projecting onto their expectation of the future? Death. The end of an era. See, they were widows because they had experienced in the past their husband dying. And that event of their spouse dying still defined them to that day. Scripture says that they were widows. They were defined by a past experience. They were defined by an experience that their spouse had died, that the life that they had known being married, that that era had ended. And their experience projects onto this moment that we read that Dr. Luke writes about. Dorcas died, therefore it's the end of her possibly continuing to be filled with good works. She's dead, so it's the end of charitable deeds being able to be demonstrated through her body. Just like the death of their spouse defined the end of a period in their life and they couldn't continue to experience the work or the deeds of their spouse. And yet Peter's in the same upper room But his past experiences got him expecting a different possible future. Peter's past projects onto the expectation of the future that miracles still happen in upper rooms. That the miraculous still happens in the upper room. That the provision and the power of the blood and the Spirit of God are encountered in the upper room. See, to the widows, it was the end of an error. To Peter, it was the opportunity for an encounter. Is that not the same here today? To some people today, they see life as the end of an error, and they come in still allowing the past and what they believe is dead and gone and no longer available to be the end of things. And yet others are more like Peter who's had some upper room encounters and regardless of what's taking place in culture and in the world, they have an expectation that the miraculous still happens, that the kingdom of God is still available, that the miraculous and the provision of the blood and the power of the Holy Spirit is still available. Isn't it the same today? To some, their past encounters in a room where the saints gather, project onto their experience each time they come into this room. That this isn't an ordinary room. It's an upper room, so to speak. It's a place to encounter and experience something upper. Something that is from above. Something that's above the normal. Something that's above the natural. To encounter the provision 
and the power of the blood of Jesus and the person of the Holy Spirit. But to others, their past of growing up in dead religion, no upper room experience affect and project onto the present. For some, this is just like going to an event as a spectator. But not with any personal expectation to experience something personally. To some, this is just a room like any other room. Others, they have been hurt by similar rooms in the past. As they gathered with other followers of Jesus or so-called Christians and believers, they have been hurt and they're hurt represented in rooms like this, still projects onto the present. It still seeks to define their expectation in this moment. Which leads me to this question. What do you do if you need a different expectation? What do you do if you need a different expectation of what type of room we're in and what's available and what this moment is for in your life and in the plan of God? How do you get an upper room expectation? That when you come in this room, it's not like other rooms. It's not like a classroom at school or a lecture hall in the university. It's not like a meeting room at the job or a conference room. That this is an upper room. This is the place to experience something that's well up and above those experiences. That this is a room where the supernatural can be encountered. That the invisible God can be made visible. Where mountains can be moved. Where hard places can be melted. Where dead things can come alive again. What do we do when we need a different expectation? Well, the Father and Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of truth who Jesus called the Helper. And the Holy Spirit is available today to help you have an encounter in the present that prevails over your past to rewrite your future. I'll say it again. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, is available to help you in the present that will prevail over your past to rewrite your future. See, listen to me. Without that... And without the Holy Spirit's help to prevail over your past, your past has already ridden your future. Listen, without allowing the Holy Spirit to prevail over your past, your past experience has already ridden in your heart and mind your future. Because your future is determined by your expectation. Your future is determined by what you believe is possible. If you think your past will always define the possibility of the future, then your future is already written within. So the Holy Spirit's available to confront the past, to overcome the past, so that you can rewrite your future. So what do you do if this is just today like an ordinary room? What do you do if the hurts from similar rooms like this in the past is trying to dictate and control your expectation in this room, you invite the helper, the Holy Spirit, to come and to help you. 
to prevail over the past so that you can have different projections and expectations for your future. Notice in our main text, it's the same room, but different projections. It's the same room, but it's different expectations. And ultimately, it leads to a different future experience. So my question to us today is, what kind of room is this to us? My question to you is, what kind of room is this to you? Because this is a biblical upper room. This is a room where dead people can come alive again through the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is a room where dead places can come alive again through the power of Jesus' resurrection. This is a room that is filled with the prayers and supplications of followers of Jesus as we wait for the benefits and the promises of the new covenant to be established and be experienced in our life. This is a room where the weak can be upheld, where the weary can be refreshed, where the empty can be filled, where the hopeless can encounter hope, where the hurting can experience healing, where the sick can be healed, where the lost can be found, where the deceived and bound can be loosed and set free, where the children of God can be filled and empowered with the promise of the Father that's from on high, where good works and charitable deeds are spurred on and revived in the saints. This is a room where the Dorcases can come alive again. Oh, hallelujah. This is a supernatural room. When the saints of God gather in that name, the name of Jesus, the name above every name. Notice in our story that's the same room, but different expectations. And they end up having a different experience. Did you catch it? Peter comes in and he puts all the widows out of the room. Now, I don't want any of you to leave. And I want all you to know this is a church for you. But the mentality of widows got to be put out of this room. The mentality that the past hurt and the things that we think have ended and no longer available, that that's put out of our heart and mind. That this is a room where all things are possible to him who believes because we serve a God of the impossible. That Jesus Christ himself, our Lord, is a declaration. What seemingly seems impossible is possible. That even if you've waited one day or two days or three days, resurrection power is still available. That the past don't have to dictate your future. The Holy Spirit wants to rewrite some things in our heart and mind. Can I hear an amen? amen. He, he puts them out. Those that had a projection that this could only be the end. He puts them out. And even today, if we're at the end of the end of the last days, you can't have a widow mentality that God's power still can't prevail in the last days. You can't have a mentality that God's still not saving people in the last days. You can't have a mentality that even as things get evil, that the light can still overcome darkness. So he puts them out of the room. You ever thought where he learned that from? Where he saw that from? From his mentor. Jesus did the same thing in Matthew 9. For he raised someone from the dead. He put out those that were in the room but didn't have an expectation. 
And again, I don't want anyone to be put out to leave. But I do want the Holy Spirit to help us to put out of our heart and mind some unbelief, some things of the past that's still trying to define our expectation for the present, that's still trying to see that this upper room is a normal room, it's a natural room, that it's not a room to experience the heavenlies and the upper things and the supernatural. So the same room, different expectations. God still does miracles in the upper room. Let me talk to you now about gazelles. Gazelles. Maybe you're thinking, what does gazelles have to do with an upper room? Well, maybe you caught it, but Tabitha was the Arabic name of this woman that Peter, in the name of Jesus, raises from the dead. But Tabitha is the Arabic word for gazelle. Dorcas, Dorcas, in the Greek, is the Greek word for gazelle. Gazelles were symbols of love in the region of Persia. In fact, gazelles were associated with female beauty in Arabic literature. Maybe not in English, so if you're single guys and you're thinking about inviting a lady out, maybe you shouldn't say, you look like a gazelle to me. Might not work in our culture, but in the Arabic literature, female beauty was associated with the gazelle. In fact, in Arabic, the word is G-A-Z-A-L, and it was the term for love poems, from love poems. Now, even in Hebrew Scripture, we see this. Now, when you say Hebrew Scripture, what do you mean? I'm talking about you who've been around church. Old Testament, thanks Song of Solomon, which was a love poem, by the way. And it talks about a gazelle. My beloved is a gazelle. See, gazelle was considered and perceived as a graceful animal. Now, if you're not familiar with gazelles, a couple facts early on. There's about 19 species of gazelles. However, in Israel, there are only about 2,000 gazelles left. And of the 2,000 gazelles left, They only consist of three of the 19 species of gazelle. Now one of the species of the three that's left, still in today, Israel, is the Dorcas gazelle. In fact, they got a picture that they will put up if you're not familiar with the gazelle. Michelle, Craig, you look like a beautiful gazelle. I don't know if that's going to work on her birthday coming up, but it worked in ancient poems. But that's a gazelle. And they have been in sharp decline in Israel over the last several decades. They've been unable to survive and thrive due to human activity over the last 30 years and their main survival or their main threat is being overly hunted. And as I begin to learn and think about the gazelle and the Dorcas gazelle and how their life is threatened and their numbers are declined, I thought, likewise, it's the same today. 
that what Dorcas represents in our text is under attack. That the survival of what Dorcas, this female disciple, represents is under attack. Because Dorcas represents people of the fine print. People of the fine print. Gazelles, the Dorcas's of the kingdom, the people of the fine print are under attack. The people, because what was Dorcas, what was the testimony about her? She was filled with good works and charitable deeds. That the body of Christ and the members of the body of Christ are under attack. The people of God are under attack from their lives being filled with good works and charitable deeds. One thing that has allowed gazelles to come under attack is celebrity Christianity. That, that only the most known and only those with the biggest are the biggest platform. The overemphasis on celebrity Christianity is a blatant attack on the Dorcases of the kingdom. It creates a generation that when they feel the Spirit of God stir them to be used, that they only attach being used to such things. And because of that, people sit in our country, in our nation, which thank God we have liberty and freedom to freely worship the true God and the true King Jesus Christ. But people sit in that place of freedom week after week, Sunday after Sunday, just listening and never had their lives filled with good works and charitable deeds because they look to what is overemphasized. The gift of communication or public speaking or the platform. And it negates the value and the plan of God for gazelles in His kingdom. Also under attack, of course, by the enemy. The devil who prowls like a lion. Because the devil hates biblical good works. Because the devil knows that most people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ not by a platform or a microphone, but by the arms of someone that invests and listens and loves and is a friend to their neighbor. That most people, the majority of the people come into the kingdom of God for brothers and sisters living out the kingdom of God as they do life with co-workers and neighbors and family members and friends. So the enemy hates the gazelles of the kingdom. He despises biblical good works. Gazelles are seeking to be taken out, silent, snuffed out by the enemy saying, there's no value in good works and your biblical good works. There's no value in your dedication. There's no value in you serving the one and reaching the one and serving your neighbor. But it's a lie. In fact, I came across this video that sort of demonstrates the attack of the enemy. And yet, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Holy Spirit will raise up a standard. Let's see this video. See, gazelles are under attack because they're out in the open. They're out in the open loving their neighbor, serving the hurting, being filled with good works and charitable deeds. And the enemy prowls to try to sneak attack, to silence and snuff out 
Christ being manifested in many ways to many people. But there's three characteristics of gazelles that I want to mention in conjunction with us being a people of the fine print today. The first is large eyes. Everybody say large eyes. Gazelles have large eyes. Why? Because they have to be constantly on the lookout. They rely heavily on the eyesight because they feed in, in open spaces like you said, Saul, and there's an enemy prowling. There's an there's a enemy, Satan, who roars and who prowls like a lion. And likewise, it's the same with people of the fine print. People like the Dorcases of the kingdom. That they have large eyes, large eyes to see the needs of people around them. They have large eyes to constantly be on the lookout on where they can serve and who they can serve and where they can manifest Christ through good works and be filled with charitable deeds. Makes me think of what Paul wrote in Titus 3 and 14. He says, and let our people also learn to maintain good works. To meet urgent needs that they may not be unfruitful. See, they have large eyes because they have to be adaptive. And likewise, people of the fine print, the Dorcases of the kingdom, they have large eyes because they have to be adaptive. They have to learn to meet urgent needs. That the need in the moment is not always, does not always require the same good work or the same charitable deed. But they're able to be adaptive in the moment to meet urgent needs, to remain fruitful, and to maintain good works. Jesus said, may we have eyes to see. Eyes to see what? To see kingdom opportunities. To see opportunities to manifest Christ. Opportunities to serve and to impact people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we would have eyes to see opportunities and that we would not allow our past to dictate our expectation. That because something happened in our past, we're no longer able to be used of Christ to manifest His character, His goodness, His, His love to those around us. So gazelles have large eyes. Likewise, so do, so do people of the fine print. Secondly, gazelles have large ears. They have large ears because they feed in open grasslands and it makes them prone to attack, not just lions, but also wild dogs. Paul spoke of evil dogs, of, of people who had, would teach falsely and try to deceive the people of God. He said, there, beware of evil dogs, evil workers. But the gazelles of the kingdom, the Dorcases of the kingdom, they have large ears because as they feed and as they serve... They have to remain on high alert. They understand that the enemy wants to stop that which is valuable and significant in the kingdom of God. Likewise, it's the same with the people of the fine print. People like the Dorcases. That they have big ears. That when they're around people, they're attuned and attentive to their story. That Dorcases, when they're encountering people, are not looking to always talk and share their story and get the attention on them. They're people with big ears. They're trying to listen 
below even what's said. Because oftentimes people around won't really say what the real need is, what the real hurt is, what the real question is. But if you listen attently with the ears like a gazelle, you'll hear what's really going on within them. You'll find the real need of where Christ needs to be manifested. You'll find the real place where you can minister love to them and speak truth to them and stand with them and support them. Jesus said, may he who have ears, ears to hear. To hear the real needs of what's not being said, but what is trying to be said. Gazelles of the kingdom, they're always listening. They're always alert, looking for where they can serve. Whom they can serve, how they can serve, where the needs are. Where people are hurting, I think of... In Acts chapter 11, verse 22, what a beautiful testimony of this group of followers of Jesus. It said, then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. Notice that. This church, they were like gazelles. They had big ears and when they heard of a need, they, they sent out a way for those needs to be met. May we as a congregation be a people of the fine print that like gazelles, we have big ears. That when we hear of needs, we as the body of Christ send out help, send out ministry, send out what's needed to manifest Christ in many ways to many people. So gazelles, they have... Large eyes and large ears. Lastly, they have small heads. Small heads. What's interesting about the gazelles is they they can run bursts of speed up to 60 miles per hour. Only in bursts, though, they can sustain the speed from 30 to 40 miles per hour as their sustainable speed. Gazelles also are very social animals. Likewise, it's the same with people of the fine print. It's the same with the people, the Dorcases of the kingdom. That though they can run fast by being full of good works and charitable deeds, they have a small head. That though they can run fast in being adaptive to listen to people, to meet urgent needs, to have their life filled with good works and charitable deeds, they have a small head. They don't get boastful. They don't get arrogant. They don't make what they're doing about them. They keep a small head about them. That even though they got large eyes and large ears to impact people for the kingdom of God and manifest Christ to them, they still have a small head. That I am what I am by the grace of God. If it were not for Jesus and His salvation and what He's done in me, this wouldn't be flowing through me. They're not looking for the praise like a priest of the week. They're hanging all of their trophies, all of the honor upon that one peg who's worthy, Jesus. That all fruits of righteousness come through Jesus. They come by Jesus. They're for Jesus. Can I hear an amen? Paul in Galatians 6.14. Van, you can come. Notice what he says. You can read along with me on the screen. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. 
Paul says, God forbid that I should boast. God forbid that I should get a big head, that I'm able to manifest Christ, that I'm, that I'm able to actually hear the real needs of people, to be attuned and attentive and listen, that I'm able to meet urgent needs, that I'm able to, to manifest Christ in multiple types of biblical good works that I have adapted to no longer live my life for myself, but allow Christ to live through me for the others, for the, His namesake, for the manifestation of His character and His kingdom. And yet, it's all because of the cross of the Lord Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 1, 27-31, Paul reminds the church at Corinth, he says, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, Wow, here it is. That no flesh, no human should glory in His presence. That no human would get a big head. But of Him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, redemption, that as it is written, He who glories, let Him glory in the Lord. Gazelles have small heads and so do people of the fine print. Their labor of love ultimately is for Jesus. Their work of faith ultimately is for Jesus. And because they have small heads, if they get overlooked by the culture and overlooked by leaders and overlooked by others, brothers and sisters around them, they don't allow the enemy to bite them with the poison of bitterness because all that they do, they do for the glory of God. They are humble. Small-headed and yet powerful in the kingdom of God. And that's why you got to remember, you remember the picture of the gazelle? Small head, but did you see what also was on that head? Horns. They're humble, but they got horns. People of the fine print are humble, but they got horns. Horns in the Bible represents authority. So we're not talking about defense mechanisms that wall people out, push people. No, no, horns represent authority. We're humble, but we got authority over the enemy and that name that's above every name, the name of Jesus. Humble, but we got horns. We have the authority of Christ as the dwelling place of God, as the people of God, as Christ who lives in us. We have the authority of Christ within us to manifest Christ in many ways to many people. Through our good works. So there's gazelles in the upper room. But maybe some gazelles in this upper room have allowed the past or some things happen and it's like the spiritual gifts, the spiritual hunger, the spiritual expectation, charitable deeds, good works have, di have died. 
and the enemy of your soul, the devil's been speaking to you and he's been reminding you saying that the good of the past and the good that God has for you, that it's the end of the air. And and he's trying to already write your future by controlling the expectation on the inside of you. And maybe today there's an anointing like the anointing of Peter, the anointing of Jesus that wants to resurrect some gazelles in this upper room. Maybe today the power of God wants to liberate some people of their past that's trying to dictate the expectation of what's possible in their future because God's ready to raise up a people of the fine print to raise up this community to be filled with good works and charitable deeds to see the vision of what God's called us to to be complete to see Christ manifested in many ways many good works many charitable deeds to many people hallelujah that the gazelles of large eyes and large ears but small heads would be resurrected today now we don't know why or what it was about this girl when she was born that her parents gave her the name Gazelle. But oftentimes we do know names and words that we are called over and over begin to influence our actions. So she grows up Gazelle. Hey, nice to meet you. I'm Gazelle. I'm Gazelle. I'm Gazelle. And I wonder, did it make it easier for her to be aware of using her eyes and her ears to find opportunities to be full of good works and to be full of charitable deeds while yet remaining humble and keeping a small head? I wonder, did it help her be able to sew and knit faster than others and to create so many tunics and so many garments that she was like a gazelle as she made garments and Sowed. And maybe that's why all the rest of the widows were crying. Because they knew the all-star of their making garments ministry had died. And they were going to have to pick up the pace and learn to sew faster and make garments faster. And they're weeping because they're like, oh my goodness, we got to do more. We got to pick up the burden. I don't know. I don't know. But the one thing Scripture makes clear today is what we do know is that this community of disciples valued this person, this gazelle, this woman and her contributions to the kingdom of God as a person of the fine print to be so valuable that they sent for Peter, they sent for the apostle, they sent for the one who had the anointing of Jesus upon his life to resurrect Dorcas's and gazelles of the kingdom. To resurrect... Dorcas's capacity to resurrect the output that her life was full of and that she had lived with? And what if in this room today we see and accept it as an upper room? What if today changes our expectation for the rest of the times we ever come into this room before we get a new building and have a new upper room? But what if today something happens that changes our expectation? What if today for the first time some people experience the manifest power of God like I did when I came back to Jesus though I grew up in a mainline denomination? What if the tangible revealed kingdom of God comes into your situation? What if the helper helps you confront some things of your past that's trying to dictate and 
write your future? What if today the upper came down on your normal, ordinary living, living that's joyless and feeling hopeless? What if the upper heavenlies rushed in like a mighty rushing wind and resurrected God's dream for your life, God's power on the inside of you? What if today... The power of the blood of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit moved in this upper room. What could be resurrected in our life in this community? What if some of us today, by the grace and the power of God, get big eyes and big ears and small heads and we see the remaining of our time as we wait for the soon coming King, Jesus, the King of all nations, that our lives would be filled with good works and charitable deeds, that we would be a people of the fine print, that on that day we would hear, well done, good and faithful servant. What if? What if? Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.